Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out WrightFarmHouseChurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. Okay, I have a question to ask you to begin with. Got a Bible like this. How many parts in this Bible? Well, that's true. It is. Two main editions, Old and New Testament, right? But it has 66 books, you're right. So, I want to talk a little bit about those two divisions, and I don't want to talk about it, I want, I want the Bible to talk about it. I want what um, Paul says, some things about it. And one thing I was thinking, when I was young, I asked this question, and I've had some young people ask me this question. I'm talking about 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-olds. Even I had a 20-year-old recently ask me this. They said something like this. So, you know, we had the Old Testament, there was the Ten Commandments, and it was so simple. There's just Ten Commandments. And then we have the New Testament, and what's the commandments? It's kind of confusing. What am I supposed to do? Well, there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, there was more than 10 commandments. There were like 600 and something commandments, all right? But I get the point because that's what I was thinking. Well, there's 10 commandments. And if I only had 10 and I knew this is what makes God happy, if I do these 10 things, then I could kind of center in those 10 things. But it's hard when you come to the New Testament and you're trying to figure out, well, what are we supposed to do? So over in 2 Corinthians, where Paul gives some clarity to this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And the first thing I want you to know is actually in the, in the last verse of chapter 2. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... I don't want to correct Matthew, but I'm going to kind of say something that's going to sound like I'm correcting him. That's his father I can. <laughs> Where he says, In Christ we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. That's chapter 2 right at the end of Second Corinthians. And so when we're sharing, when we're doing a sermon or we're sharing, it's not, we should never think of it as Someone who's just boringly droning on. <laughs> Unless he's boringly droning on. If someone is sharing God's word, we have to realize this, this is God's word that is, this, Paul said, we're speaking with sincerity as if we are sent from God. And then he goes on to say, um, that he talks about this confidence that he has in verse 4, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. And he says, not that we're competent in ourselves, not because it's, I'm such a good speaker, Paul was saying, or claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Uh, And he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. That's where I'm trying to get to, to this new covenant. And so Paul is saying, what I'm sharing with you, and this is really should be my attitude and anyone who shares the scripture, 
is I'm not telling you what I think that much. I'm telling you what God is saying. I'm trying to find out, like you said, what is the theme, what we're trying to say, what does the Bible say? And so when I'm sharing what the Bible says, I can be very competent and confident that this is from God. This is what God says. And so we're going to look at the difference between the Old Covenant or the Old Testament and the New Covenant and the New Testament. And I'm not going to tell you what I think the difference is. I'm going to let Paul tell you the difference between the Old and the New. Now, does anyone know where the beginning of the Old Covenant began where was the where did that that begin Abraham. no well kind of but I mean when he got when the when the law came Moses, Moses where Moses. on Mount Sinai now here's the first thing I want you to know Exodus chapter 34 Moses and has there's a million people at the base of this mountain can you imagine a million people I can't even imagine a million people I mean, here in Huntsville, there's like uh, 250, 300,000 in the area, 400,000, something like that. We're talking about twice as many people as in Huntsville, all at the base of a mountain. All right. That's pretty incredible. That's a big crowd. That's the bigger crowd than a big rock band <laughs> gathered together. You know what I'm saying? It's a big crowd. And it's more than a big crowd. And if you can imagine looking up on the mountain and this this cloud is coming down and there's lightning and there's thunder and it's not just regular lightning and thunder it's shaking the mountain and it looks like there's fire Woo! that's kind of well the way paul describes it here is glorious so the old covenant didn't come in well like oh uh, here's a couple of tablets of, uh, you know, that I've chiseled out for you here. This, this came, God is saying, this is important, everyone. I want you to know, in fact, the people, they were hearing the voice of God, and they're like, ah, we can't take this. And they went to Moses and said, we can't, no, tell them, we don't want to, we don't want to let, hear God. You go up on the mountain, and you go up there, and you talk to him, and you come back. All right? So this is what's happening in this time. We're not talking about something that was boring, but something glorious is happening. And so he says in verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7, if the ministry, and this is talking about the Old Testament ministry, the Old Covenant, that brought, mm, what's the next word? Death. That brought death, which was engraved in letters in stone. All right, it's talking about the Old Covenant here came with glory, all right, this is God's power, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit even be more glorious? Now he's going to talk about this a little bit more, and I'm going to read it, but I'm going to tell you what happened. Moses goes up on the mountain. He's not there for an hour. He's not there for 10 hours. He's not there for a day. He's there for, anyone know? 40 days. And when he comes down, he has been face to face with God in a sense. And he comes down from the mountain and his face is shining. 
He's got a sunburn you won't believe. I mean, it's like, it, boom. But it was so much that everyone's like, what? This, what is going on? This guy's on fire or something. They didn't know. And so the Bible tells us here in, in uh, other places that he, he took a veil and he put it over his face because people were afraid to see his shining face. All right? And so that's the glory that, and, and glory has to do with a lot of things, but one thing is always, it, it seems to, light is always involved in glory. All right? And so he's shining. And here's the interesting thing. As time went on, and he wasn't in God's presence, that, faith, that sunburn, that shining, went away. And so when he went and spoke, any time that he had a, like a, in the tabernacle or back up on the mountain, he would take that veil off, and it was almost like, I want to shine some more. So he'd be shining again. But he put that veil on after a while, so that everyone around him couldn't see that the, the shine was fading. All right? All right, so keep, keep that in your mind as we read this. Now he says, this came from glory so the Israelites couldn't steadily look on the face of Moses because of its glory. Fading, though it was, it, his face was fading. He said, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? All right. So we have a, the first ministry is fading. The second ministry, which is what? What we would call the New Covenant or the New Testament, is more glorious. So one of the things we're learning here is the difference between the old and the new is the old one is not as glorious, even though it was glorious, as the new uh, ministry. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness now here's something that's important to understand and you'll you'll really understand it later on if you read through and study romans especially but it's in other places this first ministry glorious ministry paul is not putting it down at all he says it condemns men now, how can the, let's just think about the Ten Commandments. How can that condemn people? It says, don't put any other God before you. That's all right. Uh, it says, um, do not kill. Okay, do not commit adultery. Um, don't covet. Keep the Sabbath. See, I can't remember them all. Honor your father and mother. Honor your, oh, thank you. Honor your father and mother. <laughs> Very good one. See, now, how does that, con how does, now, how does that condemn you? Uh, here's the problem. We don't always honor our father and mother. And so what happens is we look at that and go, I want to honor my mom and my dad. I want to honor God and put no other gods before him, but man, sometimes... It's not like I'm worshiping another God, but I'm putting other things before him. So I am, I'm, I am worshiping something else. And, and oh my goodness, uh, I haven't killed anyone, but I sure do hate a bunch of folks. <laughs> you know? And so what the law does, as good as it is, Paul says in another place, oh, it's so good, it's so good. 
But when you look at it and you look at your life, you go, I have fallen short. I, I'm not living up to it. It condemns me. It, it, it does that. And he says that first, that first glorious ministry, all it could do is say, look, you messed up. You messed up. You messed up. You messed up. But the second one, it says, brings righteousness. Now, what does that word righteousness mean? It, it means you're living in a right relationship with God. Some way this new one makes you right with God, makes you correct with God. And it says, for what was glorious has no glory in comparison, in comparison with the surpassing glory. So he says that glorious ministry is not even, you can't even compare it with this new one that brings righteousness. It's a surpassing uh, glory. And that word there means to throw something really far away, up and away, all right, exceedingly surpassing. So it's like you, you can throw a ball over the roof. That's kind of the idea. You have, you, know, you have the glory of the old covenant, but this goes woo, way over that, surpassing glory. And if what was fading away, that old one, came with glory, how much greater of, would the glory that lasts? This one lasts. So this one is surpassing what we have now. If, if someone says to me now, well, why, why isn't it simple like the old Ten Commandments? Well, because that brought death. It condemned you. The new brings life, and it brings righteousness. It gives you righteousness. It is so much better than the old. Even though the old was glorious, this is so much more glorious. And so he says, therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. See, in the new covenant, you can be bold because you're righteous in, in the Lord. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll use my grand boys as, as an illustration. Let's say, let's pretend. We're pretending now, okay? We're all pretending. This did not happen. Jonah, Michael, and Kai. Who's going to be the bad one? On Jonah. Jonah. <laughs> Kai, you want Kai to be the All right. Let's, let's pretend. Let's pretend. Let's pretend that one day your dad left out a $10 bill on his dress. And Kai took it. Did this happen? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. All right. Kai, Kai took it. But Michael and Jonah didn't. All right. And your dad brings says, boys, come in here. Who took the $10 bill? And he looks at Michael and says, Michael, did you take it? What would you say? Yeah. What? <laughs> Michael, did you take that $10 bill? Are you sure? Yeah. Oh, why are you, why are you so confident? You, you're, because you're righteous. You did the right. You didn't do it. You didn't. You you have nothing to condemn you. You did the right thing, right? right. Same thing with Jonah. Jonah, where's that ten dollar bill? I don't know. Jonah, are you sure? Yeah. Well, you're you're. Yeah, you're just. Yeah, you're bold. You you can be very bold. 
tie? <laughs> well, we won't go down that road. But you see what I'm saying? Ty might, if he's thinking, oh, should I lie? Can I get out of this? Uh, maybe I should tell the truth, you know. He's not going to be bold because uh, he's did, done the wrong thing. But when you're in this new covenant, you're in a righteous relationship, you can be very bold before God. How can we be, be bold before God? Because we've done all the right things? No. But because Christ has done all the right things and we're living in Him. And that's why we can be very bold. You see, this is why this is such a greater surpassing covenant because we can stand before God righteous. Not because we've done all the right things, but because Christ did all the right things and we're living in Him. And he says, we're not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at him when the radiance was fading away. We're not hiding that. But their minds were made dull for to this day. That same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only Christ, in Christ, is it taken away. And so he's basically saying, you know, the people who haven't turned to Christ, they still have that veil over their face they can't understand. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So here's another thing that we get. We get freedom in the new covenant. And then he says, and we, who with unveiled, he, he kind of sums up, he kind of uses this illustration to say, where we are right now. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Here's my sum, summation on why the new covenant is far more glorious. Because the goal of God is for you to be like Jesus. There's two ways that you can be like Jesus. Number one, you can live exactly like he lived. Who wants to give that a shot? Uh, can't do it. The other way is just to look at Jesus, being in Jesus, looking at him. And it's like a mirror. We will ref it's like Moses. When Moses went up on the mountain and he looked at, some people think it might have been Jesus that he was looking at, the Lord, based on the scripture. God. And he's looking at it, he wasn't thinking, I want my face to shine. I want my face to shine. I want no, he wasn't doing that. What what was he doing? He was just listening to God, taking down the Ten Commandments, putting them in stone. And it wasn't until he went down the mountain that people went, Ah and he's like, What, what, what? Your face is shining. He didn't even know it. He he changed by just being in the presence of God. And he says here, when we take off the veil, you could say, and are in the presence of Jesus, you will be transformed, you will become more like him. Over in John, the Gospel of John, verse chapter one and verse 14, he says this, uh, the word became flesh. That's talking about Jesus. And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. We have seen this, him shine, we could say. 
the glory of the only uh, one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so here's the difference between the old and the new. The old had a list of rules. And it kind of made it simple, but it made it impossible at the same time. Well, you could read the rules and we could say, they're, you know, those are great rules. But the problem is we can't keep them. And so the new, instead of doing that, he says, if you're, you come into Christ, and when you come into Christ, you just gaze at the glory of Jesus and you'll be transformed into his likeness. Now here's the question. When we say gaze at his glory, where, what mountain do we go to? How do you gaze at the glory of Jesus? Really there's one main way and that's reading your Bible and putting it into practice. An another main way is being with other Christians because I learned a lot from other Christians how they reflect the, the glory of God and it helps me learn to do the same. One illustration I've used a lot of times is um, I am not by nature a uh, actively compassionate person. <laughs> I think I have a compassionate heart sometimes, but I'm not an actively, it's not my nature to be actively compassionate. In other words, I see something go, oh, this needs to be done. But Julia, has taught me how to be more actively compassionate. So when I'm in her presence, and that's not that she is saying, I'm not glorifying her, it's because she, is, she has taken that characteristic from Jesus and she's learned how to be actively compassionate to people. And I've learned from that. I'll tell you one story about your GMOC and then we'll stop, all right? So one day I come home in Fiji and there's three little kids there. Artie, I can't remember the other one's name. Artie had her eye, she was a smart little girl, but she had an eye problem. Another little girl and Julia, the third one, baby was named after Julia. And I said, oh, what are they doing here? She looked at me and she said, these kids are not gonna go home. They're here. I thought, okay. Well, whatever you say, what's going on? Well, Artie and, do you remember the middle child's name? Artie and something and Julia. Julia went to take, to check on them. They lived in a squatter's house, just uh, planks of boards stuck together. And she opens the door and it smells like filth because it's full of filth. Artie, who was six years old, was taking care of the other two, including the baby and there was literally human filth everywhere. I think I would have gone to the neighbor and said, can you watch these kids? <laughs> but Julia cleans up as she could, puts them in a taxi, brings them home, cleans, washes them, has some of their clothes, washes their clothes, and she left a note with the mother. You can come and talk to me, but you're not getting your kids back until certain things happen. And, you know, when I looked at that and I thought, you know, I don't want to clean up <coughs> dirty diapers and dirty place and everything. I don't want to even help the mom learn how to clean up. You know, she had a problem herself. 
But Julie had the compassion to take those kids and wash them and clean them. I guess I had the compassion to say, yeah, that's, that's, I'm glad you did that. But, you know, learning from someone, you know, doing that, all right, what may not have been natural for me to do, I learned from, number one, I should learn from Jesus. You know, Jesus' compassion, when he, it says he touched a leper. Well, we read that, we don't think about it. But can you imagine touching someone who's bleeding and has sores all, all over his body? And it's contagious? Yuck. But Jesus touched those people. And so when it comes to a time for us to touch people who are in a mess, whether it's a physical mess or a spiritual mess, we need to learn how to do that compassionately. So when we look at Jesus in the Bible, when we start putting that into practice, it says we will be transformed, and this says in ever-increasing glory. You know what it really says in the Bible? It says from glory to glory, from glory to glory. You're, gonna, you're just going to have, you're going to get a little brighter and a little brighter and a little brighter and a little brighter because you're going to be reflecting the the, the life of Jesus in your life as you read his word, as you interact with other people, and as you learn from fellow Christians. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.